We'll start with some unhappy headlines from around our auto world and then it's Lexus and Volvo. Two brands for individualists, we suggest. Renault, Audi and Hyundai Next and engine choices have suddenly become far more important across the board than they ever used to be. New speeding fines have been introduced in the UK. The reason, says the government, is that it wanted a clear increase in penalties as the severity of the offence increased. The faster you go, the bigger the fine, and the move has been welcomed on all sides, except by the motorists who are already paying £90 million a year into Treasury coffers, mostly for failing to spot that the middle gantry in a row of 60 mile an hour overhead limits had dropped to 50. Obviously, this is not done to catch people out and raise money, but to increase motorway safety. Interestingly, the new system of fines allows for a maximum penalty of £1,000 on normal roads, but 2500 on motorways. You'd expect a safety initiative like this would impose the highest fines on the most dangerous roads, but no. They're available only on the busiest roads, which are also the safest, as government statistics reveal. Motorways carry 21% of road traffic, but account for only 6% of fatalities. So, a government that was serious about road safety would put its speed cameras outside schools and hospitals and other places where people are vulnerable to cars. And then on the out-of-town B roads, where the most accidents occur. The biggest fines would be reserved for people speeding past a school at 9am or 4pm. Not for someone who's so busy trying to avoid HGVs and watch for their exit that they let their speed creep up a couple of miles an hour and go above the speed shown on the next gantry, which may not be the same as the last one. Lining the motorways with overhead gatsos targets volume. Motorways are 1% of the road network, but they carry 60% of all the vehicle journeys, with 87 times more cars than on B roads where the most accidents occur. The conclusion's inescapable. The government wants to raise the maximum amount of money from speeding fines. Calling it a safety initiative is like taxing cigarettes. As long as you pay up first, we don't really care if you die. And while you've got a government robbing you blind, here's news from the insurance world, who reveal that 50% of drivers may not be insured because they failed to tell their insurance company about a change of job title mid-policy. Premiums take your job into account, and if your job title changes, your insurance is no longer valid. So tell them. Charges for changing your job title vary from as little, little, as £22 to as much as 50 So why wouldn't you notify them? It's only an administration charge, after all.
Americans fell in love with the whole idea of Lexus from the word go, and why wouldn't they? It was, after all, conceived to appeal to their innate sense of justice and common sense. Premium German brands charged a premium for the nameplate. They were founding members of a very exclusive club and prospective members had to pay lots to get in. And they were clamouring to put their money down, if only to prove that they could afford to. Toyota knew it could never persuade consumers that it could provide the same benefits and so created Lexus. And Lexus owners went to the golf club in cars that had everything, cost a bit less, and a fuzzy warm feeling that had them reading the brochures and choosing their next car well ahead of time. And the question now is what they're going to do about this one, the $100,000 LC500. We've priced it in dollars because Americans pretty much buy as many Lexi or Lexi-I or Lexuses in a month as Europeans do in a year. Lately, it's become clear that BMW owners got more than a badge for their money, and the Lexus proposition still hasn't altered from that original idea. Lexus has not been imbued with the heritage and legacy which surrounds brands with a past, and usually a racing past. BMW and co made their name the hard way, and the lessons of competition informed and shaped their engineering and designs, something which still hasn't happened with Lexus, Acura and Infiniti, even though they are no strangers to the racetrack. Creating a reputation takes years. The fact that these days most improvements to vehicle dynamics come from 16-year-old geeks with spots and a laptop rather than time-served engineers with oil under their fingernails and a spanner in their hand, that doesn't matter. Lexus, especially at this level, is still outside that very exclusive club and the members, that's the buying public, aren't letting them in. Around at Volvo, it's the exact opposite. In fact, Ever since Geely took over as Ford ditched its premier auto group, and that was before the recession, at a time when Ford was in trouble all by itself, ever since then, Volvo has been quietly going from strength to strength. And now, there is very definitely light at the end of their tunnel with an expanding model range, which has brought increased sales and profits. In fact, you'd have to say that Geely has been a perfect custodian of Volvo, looking towards the long term and letting the Scandinavians get on with doing their best work in a stable financial environment. And this is a prime example as well as a highly desirable addition to the range, following along the trail blazed by the XC90. That was a real mould-breaker, and so this one was probably a lot easier to get right and get to market, and helps lay a foundation for the upcoming XC40, which will be the baby of the SUV range. 
Volvo design boss Thomas Inglenath is pretty confident that XC60 has all the right stuff. I'm almost tempted to ask, what could possibly go wrong, he said at launch. And the answer is, anything from Discovery Sport to X3, or from Q5 to Sportage, and beyond. It's a big market, and a tough one, and even if you don't need a big slice of it to make a big difference to your market share, at 26 grand plus plus plus, you do have to get everything just so. The Landy is for the serious off-roaders, of course, but the rest of them are right with Volvo when it comes to a bit of backwards exploration and camping. So we won't talk wilderness and we won't expect anyone who buys one to want its lovely Scandinavian design blemished with anything dirtier than a bit of parking lot splashback. Just like an Audi owner, in fact. We find theirs to be a lot nicer looking than Q5, even if it is a bit more of an estate car on stilts and the Audi is an SUV looking SUV. A month ago, we might have sneered at the plug-in hybrid version for the same reason we've been sneering at battery cars of all kinds since day one. Because the metals for the batteries are dug up in wilderness areas, so there's nothing green about that. Because they draw oil and coal-generated electricity from the mains, and there's nothing cheap, renewable or dependable about that. And because so far there is no viable end-of-life solution for their disposal. So batteries in cars aren't just a bad thing, they are even worse. They encourage us to think we've solved the problem of pollution and renewable power, when in fact we've merely chosen to close our eyes and stick our fingers in our ears. Na-na-na-na, can't hear you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our current political attitude to future power. And while we're ignoring inescapable truth, our politicians have seen a golden opportunity to appear like saviours of the planet while simultaneously robbing us blind. Because a month ago, the two-litre diesel four would have been the obvious choice of the two engines available for this car, but now politicians have decided that diesel is bad. Diesel kills people. Diesel has got to go. And not the lorries, the buses, the boats and the trains that are pumping tons of particulate into the air every day. Just the nasty little cars that are puffing out a few grams. But motorists are a soft target, and so politicians tax diesel cars while pretending to address the problem of air pollution caused by everything else. Now it's going to cost fortunes every day to take a diesel car into the centre of big cities like Birmingham, so we'll all have to pay up or scrap our diesels and buy petrol cars instead. Or plug-in hybrids. Caught between a rock and a hard place is one thing. Being herded there at the point of a gun is a completely different kind of daylight robbery. Type Kaleos into Google and everything you get back is prefixed by Renault, which is a good thing if you work in their marketing department, even though it's hard to say in French and in English. 
you know how we keep going on about names and how important it is to pick the right one and how unnecessary it is to saddle a car with a name that's laughable in a different language. So, welcome to the Renault Sheath. Bad enough in Greek, it's even more visible in Latin, so it's a good job nobody speaks it colloquially now, or it would be the Renault... Tell you what, look it up yourself on Google to see how easy it would have been to discover all its many interpretations, especially when you know it's been in the pipeline since the concept first appeared so long ago that we hardly remember it. Which goes to show how much the recession actually did interfere with a lot of plans for a lot of car makers. However, it's not a bad looking thing in pictures, although it's bigger than you think, so it's quite a daunting slab of metal. But it's also the final new model in the range revamp that Renault started five years ago. And yes, of course, it's a Nissan X-Trail underneath is why, and that means it's got some proper off-road abilities with serious approach and departure angles and 200 plus millimetres of ground clearance. As always, it's not going to scare a Land Rover or Jeep owner, but you don't have to worry about being stuck up a dirt track on your wilderness weekend camping break with all the family. The interior is all very Renault, but at least it's not over fussy and French. Not that we can see ourselves in one of these. 23 grand, same as an X-Trail, if you're wondering about the price. Audi has more reason than most of us for wanting to forget about diesels, but now everyone wants to make them a thing of the past, and so the focus is bound to turn to things like this, the Audi e-tron concept. Our problem is simple enough. 10 years from now, or maybe 15, when you're driving something stuffed full of lithium batteries, which aren't very recyclable at all, and the government wants you to pay to have them safely disposed of, you'll wonder how come no one spotted this obvious flaw coming, or whether they did, but chose not to mention it. Yeah, don't laugh, because that's exactly what they're doing now with diesel. We think that instead of imposing congestion charging to punish you for their rubbish thinking, governments should just make it a rule that no car can be sold unless the manufacturer has a plan to dispose of all its constituent parts safely at the end of life. Most of these battery jobbies would go straight to the back of the showroom at this point, and there would be some serious impetus behind finding something which solves the problem instead of becoming part of the problem. There's already an A3 e-tron for sale, same as there's an increasing multitude of EVs on sale. And even though uptake is a tiny percentage of the overall car market, it's a growing number, and it means an exponential growth in the amount of lithium batteries being produced, with an exponential growth in the size of the disposal problem we are creating. And maybe not just for future generations, 
it may be for our own and these batteries contain more than lithium. They include metals like nickel, which also need to be mined and are not recyclable, and which contain a potentially explosive mix of chemicals. Ask anyone with a Galaxy Note 7 about that. Increased sophistication in battery technology is reducing recharge times, as well as the Big Bang possibilities. But as far as we can tell, most of the present solutions are polymer-based and present an even bigger headache for future recycling. The problem is there's a lot of political pressure to find a renewable, clean energy source to replace carbon fossil fuels and find it now, today, tomorrow at the latest. So what are we doing? Rushing to market with things that might work, that might answer one question, but replace it with a bigger one. And all the while, governments can get away with making car owners pay for their own short-sightedness. That situation is unlikely to change. So here's a dilemma. Like a lot of people, we bought a VW Group product as a daily driver because it does miles and miles and because government made it cheaper for us, we chose a diesel. It saved a lot of money compared to a similar petrol engine. But now, it's time to change. And just as it becomes time, we discover that there is no clear idea of what we should replace it with. Power-wise, we mean. Another diesel? One that's likely to get taxed silly in a few years, even though it's not the problem, just an easy target for a cash-strapped administration. For the moment, paying the tax would be cheaper than paying for all that extra petrol, but that's only today, and it could easily change tomorrow. So a hybrid, then. See above, lithium and all that jazz. An EV with even more problems and less actual whole-life benefit? We think we'll end up with a petrol hybrid that's less economical than a diesel, is cleaner in use, but can't be recycled easily. Someone else will have to worry about that. So what can we tell you about the i30 estate that you don't already know? Not much really, because you're already aware there's been an estate as long as there's been an i30, a decade now, and the new model launched in Geneva brings us on to generation three of Hyundai's likeable and elegant family hatch. There's an extra 250 millimetres in length when you go for the estate, and what that gives you is a spot more than 600 litres of very usable load space, and that's what you're interested in, or you wouldn't need an estate car. And we assume that need is the right word for almost all estate car buyers. Surely there can be few among us who prefer the bigger glass house purely for its looks, and we take the extra sheet metal as a small price to pay for getting all those crates of whatever it might be that you want to put in the back of it. Apart from that, you'll never know when driving it that it is an estate. 
We like Hyundai interiors. They've got a nice dynamic package going on. And luckily, you'll find some very likable and economical petrol engines as well. So you won't be forced to drive a diesel any longer. As if our electric worries weren't already keeping us awake at nights, here comes Zoe to add to our problems with 460 horsepower and zingy good looks. Will someone please make electric cars politically acceptable so we can have fun with stuff like this? And if the Mafia had been German, then this would surely be their staff car. The S-Class is altogether too posh for the job, but this has the right air of relentless competence and determination. You've got a job that needs taking care of, then the big beamer is what you want.